0: Hi, it's Jennifer Diane Gostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have Many of your burning questions answered here. I've known my next guest for years through the AAC, American Adoption Congress. We would see each other in different cities each year, but my most memorable times with him was twice in Denver, Colorado, where he resides. He never fails to have an endearing smile, great participation with all of us, and much wisdom in the area of adoption. His name is Richard Urlup, and we affectionately call him Rich. He is steeped in knowledge as a long-standing member of the adoption community, and one of the best people I know an adoptee can learn from as they navigate their journey. In this episode, he will share part of his adoption story and give guidance to all sides of the constellation. He is the president of the ASRC. Adoption Search Resource Connection. Rich has been dedicated to support and effective advocacy for the interests of adults impacted by relinquishment and adoption for over 20 years. Rich has testified before legislative committees and presented and facilitated at various conferences nationwide. He has been interviewed for local and national radio, television, and newspaper stories. He is a contributing author to Finding Our Place, 100 Memorable Adoptees, Fostered Persons, and Orphanage Alumni in 2010, and Adoption and Mothering in 2012. His professional background includes leading the Learning Solutions Team and Management Competencies program for an international technology firm telecommunications and digital marketing sales and medical legal claims and risk management in the private and public sectors. Allow me to introduce you to someone who found a way in his full schedule in adoption land to create time for a most insightful conversation with me. I always learn so much from Rich and I believe today you will too. Well, hello, Rich. It's good to uh, be able to talk with you today. How's it going?
1: Going very well. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to our conversation.
0: I am, too. And when you said yes and agreed to it, I was really excited because I know you've been connected to the adoption community for a long time. And it's really important to me that the audience get to hear from those that have really been paying it forward forward. Why don't we just get started, however much you want to share about your story in adoption.
1: Sure. Uh, I was adopted in Denver, though I was conceived in Minneapolis. And what I learned about my story was my first mother came out here and was supported by my birth father for about six months while she was waiting to have me. I'm working on a book that may never be finished. (laughs) I'm working on a book because it's a really amazing story. Essentially, I was adopted in Denver through the state, so it wasn't a private agency. My dad used to say, you cost us $10 and you've been worth every penny. (laughs) Mm. Which, you know, it was intended as a joke.
0: Right.
1: But raised in, you know, just basically in middle class... Denver suburban household. I had an older adoptive sister. And then, as happens with many families, a younger biological child came along, even though my folks thought they couldn't have kids. Uh, grew up with a fairly normal, leave it to Beaver kind of life in the 60s and 70s. And wasn't really encouraged to talk about adoption growing up. It was a kind of a touchy topic. But I got some information, some non-identifying information when I turned 21, but did not include any names. And then after doing all kinds of typical adoptee things to blow up my life in my 20s, my parents were forthcoming finally with a document that had my birth mother's maiden name on it. And that really broke open my search. Hmm. So...
0: You've always uh, I, known you were adopted?
1: Pretty much. They always they always told me. One day my older sister, who was also adopted, got angry with me and she said, You know, mom's not your real mom And that was a whole different twist on what adoption was as opposed to, you know, we wanted you and the the common fantasy that adoptees have that their parents had a shopping cart and strolled up and down aisles and aisles of adoptees, and finally picked you mm. because you were the special one.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> As opposed to the idea that a, a caseworker pretty much assigned you to them, and at that time they were, you know, they tried to do what they could to match physical characteristics and. Particularly my adoptive mother's physical characteristics were pretty similar to my uh, birth mother's physical characteristics. So Mm. that was interesting. And my adoptive father and my birth father both had blue eyes and I have kind of big ears and my adoptive dad had kind of big ears. So
0: you fit in. Yeah.
1: They did what they could, I think, to make it a good fit.
0: Mm hmm.
1: Yeah. It wasn't until I was in my mid 30s that I actually located Birth Family. Both my birth parents, it turned out, actually had passed away before I was even out of high school. Mm. So I spent 15 years looking for dead people. Wow. And that has fueled a lot of my passion around the idea of of, um, working for legislative reform and supporting people who are in the process of search and you know, defining identity and that kind of thing because, you know, no one one should have to look for 15 years to find dead people.
0: Yes, yes. I know I met you some years ago at the American Adoption Congress conference, and I think I would see you each year I went. I like Orlando, Denver twice, Cleveland. I just believe I... Saw you each time, and, and I said, Rich is really committed like you like for the long haul you're you're in this to to really help other adoptees, I guess all members of the constellation, right
1: absolutely the I think there's so much energy and grief and pain and angst and relief around this whole process that We've got to find a, a positive way to channel it, mm-hmm. and that's that's been my goal. Even after finding my story and doing what I can to facilitate support groups and work in legislative reform, it's a much less self-destructive way to channel that energy than a long list of things we all know can happen to adoptees.
0: For sure. And so you have had an opportunity to really be involved in a lot of changes, um, I guess, all over the country, right?
1: It's it's really kind of grown here in Colorado back in 1995 to 2000. The uh, NCSL at that time was pushing for a national bill that would seal all adoption records for 99 years. Mm. And that proposal came to Colorado. So a bunch of us uh, went down and testified against that. And that really started the process here in Colorado. Once people heard our stories, we actually were able to turn back that initiative from the NCSL, the National Conference of State Legislatures. And that generated bills in Colorado to improve access. And uh, it was a 40 year battle here with incremental changes. You know, we all have the dream that that these laws should all be changed now. But in terms of legislatures, that's not always how it works.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: People even before me in Colorado, our group here, was called Adoptees in Search. Now, the name has evolved into Adoption Search Resource Connection to make it more inclusive and apply to more than just adoptees.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But it really, literally, was a four-year battle. and now that we've uh, gained access to records for adult adoptees, we're now one of our uh, key initiatives is Think Beyond the Original Birth Certificate so we've been working on passing laws to help foster youth aging out of foster care, helping them get driver's licenses, helping them get car insurances uh, and our lobbyist Shane Madsen is uh, working wonders with that. I'm thrilled to be involved. And uh, she's the energizer bunny behind our efforts here. And in many ways, I'm really excited to say and proud to say Colorado's become a model for the nation and uh, national reform. As you do what you're doing, what are your talking points, what's your approach? Is there a a better way to work with conservative-dominated states versus liberal-dominated states? What are the, the talking points for people maybe with certain religious convictions? We've got it down to a fairly nuanced, fine art. That's just 20, 25 years of blood, sweat, and tears.
0: 25 years. Wow. I'm glad we're having the the talk about look beyond the original birth certificate because in my case, I remember going to the adoption agency that's still in existence, has post-adoption files. And there's so much in my file beyond the original birth certificate. And yet, by law in Illinois, I can't have that. You know, they gave me a picture of me at six months old, which I hadn't seen a picture before then. But I'm thinking, yeah, it's more than the birth certificate that tells a little more about my story. I think that's pretty important.
1: Absolutely. It's an interesting conversation because there are people who... And And I'm deep in my heart, I'm one of them. There are people who say, who say "I want to see every document that had anything to do with my relinquishment or adoption right, and it's mine, and I want it. The thing that courts and legislatures both are committed to is the idea that there's there's more than just you involved. So we were fortunate. I'm not sure how I came up with the idea, but it really served us well in Colorado where even back in 99 and 2000, we realized that we wanted more than just the birth certificate, and so we got written into law a definition of adoption records that everyone could agree on. And so that includes the original birth certificate, the amended birth certificate, but it also includes the petition to relinquish signed by the birth parent. It includes the adoption decree, it includes non-identifying information and in social and medical history. So it includes court documents, but it specifically excludes pre-relinquishment counseling records because really those are personal to the mother and father. Mm-hmm. No child, whether adopted or not, gets access to their parents' psychiatric records. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so much as we may want to know all the intimate details of what went on and what was talked about, that's really, that's up to the parent and and the person counseling them. If they want to disclose that, they can. And we welcome it.
0: And I get that.
1: There are limits.
0: Yeah, I get that. I do think, and I wonder about this, because I I too found graves um, in my story. And once that was known by the adoption agency, they kind of took a little different look at what they would give me, you know, once I presented death certificates, and so I often wonder, like, would that be suitable? That if the parents are deceased, can you can you get that information?
1: That yeah, that raises an interesting question because once dead people have no privacy rights, yeah, and even in the world of adoption, there's a strong argument that comes from agencies most often and sometimes legislators that claim that they're protecting birth parent privacy rights. But as we've seen in court of appeals and Supreme court cases coming out of Tennessee and Oregon, that a birth parent, this, this is something that we, is a huge talking point that we promote in bills around the country. But because a parent does not have a fundamental right to have their child adopted, i.e. someone else has to consent, they cannot have a correlative fundamental right to have their child adopted under circumstances that guarantee their anonymity, and even if they don't want to be found. So there are certain limits to privacy rights, and they pretty much go away once someone passes away. So that's an interesting question. Some states will give more documents than Colorado does. You know, There are some states that will give pretty much the whole file,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and I'm I'm not opposed to that at all, but it's worked well for us here to negotiate an agreed-upon definition of what records can and should be released, and that's a safeguard against any kind of typographical errors or intentional misrepresentations that might have been made on the birth certificate. Mm Mm-hmm because you you and i have both heard all the stories about oh it was lost in a fire oh the birth date was changed or the even sometimes the the gender was changed in certain records in, in an effort to conceal and uh, thwart efforts to find birth parents
0: mm-hmm.
1: and our whole goal is let's just normalize this you know let's let's make this like genealogy genealogy is the one of the top hobbies in the country behind gardening and video games.
0: <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> why, why is that normal for everybody unless you're adopted? <laughs>
0: right. And
1: then, then adults are just free to have that conversation or not have the conversation or build a relationship or not have the relationship just like everybody else.
0: Mm-hmm. So your longevity in the adoption community I would imagine you have a lot that you would tell the newcomer. I've been really focused on the person that's brand new to the community. I remember when that was me, and I was just like, what's going on? Like learning the language and all of that. And um, through the years, I want to like remember what that felt like to be brand new and So what guidance would you give someone that's just like brand new to the community and just trying to get their bearings?
1: That is a great question. And things have changed so much with social media from the time that you and I probably got started. At the beginning, you know, I I found a newspaper ad and a newspaper article that told me about the group in Denver Adoptees in Search and went to a meeting we met in the basement of a bank, and it was terrifying because until that time, I didn't really know any other adoptees outside my adoptive family, and it was pretty hush-hush, and showing up in a place where there were 50, 60, 90 other people who were having, sharing the same experiences. Was, was both frightening and validating at the same time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so in terms of advice, one, I would say take it at your own pace, but do take baby steps or big steps. I've seen people who show up, come to meetings, do their search for six months, get it all knocked out, find their family, launch off into these new relationships or not. And it's, it's kind, of a, kind of a box to check in their life. And then we've had other people who show up at meetings and sit and listen for five years without (laughs) uttering a peep. (laughs) And and then finally build up the courage to uh, initiate the process to reach out to birth families. So everyone's personality is different. Everyone's story is different. But I would say within that process, there are certain common things. One is listen to yourself, listen to your deeper self, because we have a lot of messages we've internalized about our worthiness to know or whether or not this is a commentary on our loyalty or our happiness with our adoptive families or whether or not we're opening pandora's box and the risks versus the rewards mm-hmm, that's a all big those kinds of things oh my goodness yeah. yes and they're not all happy stories you know we if you spend much time reading you understand that people don't generally surrender a baby for adoption because they can provide a able loving two-parent home. Mm-hmm. Something was going on there that caused that to happen. And so I think most of us go in with our eye- eyes open to the fact that this may not be a happy story. And we've seen, my goodness, people have found parents in mental institutions. There have been stories of conception by, by date or rape or a uh, date rape or uh, not date rape. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the and, uh, amazingly even mothers who still welcome that child into their life so that would be my other piece of advice is don't start off with any assumptions Mm
0: -hmm.
1: just go with an open mind go with uh maybe some hopes but not necessarily expectations Mm -hmm. and let let people support you you know let let others words that's what helped me so much is other people would say things that I did not have words for.
0: Mm, Me too. Yeah, same here. Didn't have words for it.
1: And and by reading books by Betty Jean Lifton and Nancy Verrier and now so many other authors who are coming along, having having words gave me power to address what's going on.
0: Mm -hmm. I would agree. And
1: that language is so important.
0: And, th- and that's the piece I remember, the language, just learning the language and what felt better for me. Like, you know, some people don't like um, out of the fog, uh, you know, just, just a number of things that you have to figure out what resonates or feels good for you because you will hear the language and, and it's OK to hear it. And maybe not identify with it for yourself, but understand what someone else is talking about in the community. Um, and it's a lot to learn, and it takes time. So
1: absolutely, you- patience with yourself and patience with the process. And and there's kind of it's it's an interesting dynamic that I see evolving in social media. That uh, in some circles, it feels like the idea of being triggered is a bad thing.
0: Mhm.
1: <laughs> and you know, the therapy I've had and the graduate work I've done has said that triggers actually are a sign that hey, this is something you need to
0: work on. Right, like where you are. I so agree. I'm glad you shared that. I do. I agree with that.
1: <laughs> that the the goal of all this is not to avoid pain. M- much <laughs> as pain isn't fun.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. But it shows you but where you the, are, like what worked for me. I'm like, oh, I still need to unpack that if I get triggered or activated. I'm like, I'm, oh, I'm still there. Yeah, with that, whatever it is. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's something you think that you've worked through. You come back and you hear a song or a comment or a statement or a phrase that that you react to on a visceral level. I just had that in a writing group recently, and I thought... My goodness, after all this time, <laughs> I'm five years old again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what I <know>. the hell? <laughs> and, and it
0: like comes when you least expect it. It's like, oh my goodness, that moved me, like you say, back to five years old. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and so don't be afraid of those moments, but recognize them as something to maybe press into with your therapist or a Support group that you're in mm-hmm. uh, rather than saying, Oh, that's evil. Um, right. uh, understand that that happens for a reason. You're, as, as, as Essel van der Kolk says, your body keeps the
0: score. Mm. Yeah. Surprisingly, in that book, which I had an opportunity to read, I believe, last year or the year before, there's no mention of adoptees in there, is it?
1: It, yeah, it's really around trauma, right? and so I, I think it can be generalized to the adoptee experience, and there's a lot, I think, that resonates with adoptees.
0: It does.
1: And that's good for us. Sometimes we we get in our own little echo chamber that there are some unique things about relinquishment and adoption that it's, sometimes it's hard for other people to understand or empathize with. Mm-hmm. But there are some universal things. I just reposted on my Facebook page from a couple years ago, having come through still being in the middle of the pandemic. But it popped up and it said, you know, newsflash, things outside of our control happen to everyone, whether adopted or not. Mm -hmm. And there's certain commonalities that we share uh, with non-adopted people. And I think certain ways that the brain works that we can learn and benefit, and build empathy and and joint understanding with people, both inside and outside the adoption community. Rather than sometimes we get in our own little echo chambers, and that's good for support, but it isn't necessarily good for adoption reform, and it isn't necessarily helpful for building wider support outside of our echo chamber.
0: Yeah, I would agree.
1: Because there there is there's a legitimate uh I don't know if the criticism is the right word or just observation. I think legitimate observation that other people might make saying, wow, that must be rough and everybody has something. Having a parent die in a car accident or die of cancer at a young age might be another thing. I've met a lot of people who lost parents along the way for various reasons that weren't adoption-related that have a lot of our same dynamics, and we have a lot of empathy with each other.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, another thing that comes up is secrets and lies run in all families. So when we in the adoption community are talking about that particular subject, I can see where people outside of the community can relate to that. You know, when you learn something that you did not know for uh, a number of years, say decades, and now you know it, which the LDA, the late discovery adoptee, that is a part of their experience, the secrets that were kept among family away from uh, them. What? Yeah, and that happens in people who are not adopted in their families too.
1: And sometimes we create this fantasy that. If we'd only stayed with our biological family, it would all have been so much better, even if we've had good lives. hmm And there are trade-offs, for sure. Life has its trade-offs. I have a, a good friend who I grew up with, and she just decided on kind of a whim to uh, do a DNA test to see what she could find out about, about her genealogy. Turns out that uh, her father, who was a traveling salesman, had two families, one in Colorado, one in California. Mm-hmm. So she found half a half-sister in, in California, and uh, her dad had passed away, so she really didn't have a chance to try to talk to him about that or come to any kind of closure. Mm. So a, a group of us got together for dinner not long ago, and she said, well, Rich, I, I finally get what you've been talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it is, come home to
0: roost with right. me. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So I know, I'm glad you brought up Facebook because I know you are pretty active on social media. And what I noticed right away is how supportive you are of other people. You've been so supportive of this podcast, and I want to thank you for that. And uh, it's encouraging because I think we all need that to stay stay the course, you know, and not get burned out. And so, I Absolutely. appreciate I appreciate that. Yes. And do you have like any tools that you specifically recommend for those of us that are doing what we do in the community for ourselves and others so that we won't get burned out?
1: Well, that is a great question. And I do. I believe social media can be a way that we really lift each other up and promote good things happening. In our community, uh, just living life is a full-time job. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're working or you've got a family and you're trying to do your own personal work and you're trying to do something to make a difference, to increase awareness about adoption and relinquishment and surrogacy and DNA and all those types of things, um, it can be pretty draining. So. I applaud every anybody who's writing a book, anybody who's starting a podcast, anybody who is trying to do legislative work in their state, anyone who is uh, working to support child welfare and foster care or being a CASA volunteer. There's so much that needs to be done in this arena, and that's why I try to post other things from other people. There's a lot of self-promotion out there, and there, you know, That's great as well, but I think the more we can lift each other's arms up and say, hey, here's a good thing over here. Do you know about this? Mm -hmm. And not everybody's going to connect with every book. Not everybody is going to agree with every uh, political approach or legislative approach. But if you can find your tribe within our community and dig in and volunteer and give what you can when you can, that's kind of our motto with Adoption Search Research. Adoption search resource connection Mm -hmm. is come to meetings when you can, give what you can when you can. If you find value in what's doing, support it financially. That's a a big issue in adoption land is somehow we expect all this change to happen, but we're not willing to give money to see it happen. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, we've had a couple of situations where people did give money and it was not handled ethically. And that discourages people, which is not a good thing. And we're working to keep that clean and transparent as as well as records access. So as far as tips for burnout, I get burned out like anybody else. Their days I just think I I I'm done being an adoptee. I'm sick of talking about adoption. <laughs> 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 My issues are what they are right. and I'm gonna go lay on a go lay on a beach somewhere.
0: <laughs> You're right. You're right. And
1: let everybody else save the world, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: But the for me the biggest key is take time to relax, take time to step back, recognize your circle of influence, and if you can influence five friends, you're changing the world. Don't don't be overwhelmed by it, but just believe that. And I absolutely believe this: there are forces in this universe at work bigger than us that care about connection to our roots, that care about truth and transparency, that care about uh, justice for adoptees, that these these connections are really such a core thread in humanity and the forces that would coerce women out of their babies or promote child trafficking or promote lies or sever people from their history. Ron Nightum, who you know, who's a therapist, one time said to me, Rich, this isn't this isn't just a nice social movement. we are We are battling one of the core forms of evil in the world. Mm. and that's really what helps me keep going.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, in closing, is there anything I didn't ask you that you'd like to leave for at least one listener? <laughs> 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 I always say I'm, we're, we're having this conversation for at least one listener. Like that's, nice. yeah, like that's, that makes it worth it. That's my why.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. You, you throw one pebble in the, in the pond and the ripples go farther than you think. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I think one, I appreciate so much you having me on and really love your interviewing style and the way that you're doing things. And the biggest thing I would share, I guess, in retrospect, is things evolve, and your perspective evolves. And healing can come in surprising ways. Impact can come in surprising ways. Help can come from surprising angles. We've had some of the the most surprising legislators who had a personal connection to the issue and got it step up and get behind us when we thought they would oppose bills all the way and there comes a time where a, recognizing the difference between acceptance of the things that cannot change sets in mm-hmm. and that really gives you power I once heard a birth mother say "You know, the moms who, who make progress with their relinquishment grief are the ones who accept the years that they don't get back
0: Mm.
1: and for us as you're quote waking up or coming out of the fog whatever the phrase you want to be want to use we, we get angry and outraged and this was so wrong and I had no voice and my identity was robbed from me and those kinds of things but then over time you start to say well let's rewind that and think a little bit about it did anybody get to choose their name did anybody get to choose their parents Mm. Does anybody get to choose what happened to them as a child when you're in the custody of an adult? From my experience, as time has gone on, it's been really helpful to find those commonalities and say, okay, my life would have had a lot of the same components no matter who raised me. Mm-hmm. Everybody, no matter who raises you, faces the challenge of deciding who you are pursuing a career building relationships blowing up relationships mm-hmm. <laughs> these things ha- these things happen to all of us right. and as we build a toolkit and we can accept the things that we used to be outraged by to the degree that we can and stay passionate about the things that we really need to focus on to change I think that makes for a healthier community
0: mm-hmm. I do too well said Well, I thank you so much for having this conversation with me. It's really been enjoyable.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: I want to read directly from the ASRC's website. People who have been around Colorado for a while say that it is a remarkable story, if not a minor miracle, for an all-volunteer group to survive and thrive for over 40 years. We have met in people's homes, the basement of a bank and a couple of churches. We're proud to have been featured in front page newspaper articles, radio, interviews, television stories, and an Emmy nominated documentary. We have been involved with never give up advocacy efforts and a victorious court of appeals ruling. We exist for a little known but vital cause, people like you with similar life experiences and challenges. The Adoption Search Research Connections mission is to bring truth, education, advocacy, community, and healing to those who have been impacted by separation from ancestral connections. It doesn't get much better than that. I encourage you to go to their website and learn more about the organization based in Colorado. There you will learn about monthly meetings, small support groups, and how to support them. It was an honor and a privilege when Rich said yes to our time together for this podcast. If time and our schedules would have permitted us to continue our chat, we could have explored many more topics. I hope to have him back in the near future to pick up where we left off. Thank you, Rich, for having this conversation with me. Your commitment to the adoption community for over two decades is second to none. As a male adoptee who is center stage, I'm sure that there is an untold number of members from the constellation who recognize the value of connection with those who have shared experience of relinquishment, adoption, search, and reunion because of you. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, I hope you will consider making a donation to keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash adopteeland. Your contribution allows me to present a weekly episode free of advertisement and is greatly appreciated to add a valuable resource to the adoption community.